some of the things primarily that I that were the hardest for me to get over was I have made a mistake. I genuinely felt like I'd made a mistake and I was not cut out to be a mom, even though it's something I'd always wanted. I felt like I have made a mistake. I'm not good enough for this baby. He deserves someone who's better. And still hard to say, <laughs> even though I'm on this side of it, still hard to admit. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I am here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast host. Thanksgiving is next week. Cannot believe it. And as we approach Thanksgiving, we just want you to know how thankful we are for our storytellers, so much so that we are doing a really fun series on Patreon. So if you're a Patreon insider, today you get to hear Amy and I talk about just how God has continued to use our storytellers, how thankful we are, what's required when you have to be vulnerable and brave, and how God does all these things. So we are thankful for our Patreon insiders. If you've been thinking about it for a long time and have never joined, today is a great day to do that. And now we are going to get into our story from Savannah, who... I don't know if y'all caught this when she introduced her story, is originally from Tupelo, Mississippi, Mm -hmm. but now lives in Fairhope. So she has a double storyteller's connection. You know, Robin, we are actually on episode 246, and we have never had a story like ours today. You know, it is a story on postpartum depression, we're saying, but it's really postpartum comparison. It's about putting expectations on yourself as a mom, and your reality does not match up to the expectations you have placed on yourself. I'm so appreciative of Savannah and just the the vulnerability that she has in sharing her story. She's young. She's a new mom. Her baby's only a little over a year old now, but there is so much wisdom to glean from what God has taught her over these past 12 months. Robin, as you said in the beginning, we are so very thankful for all of you, our listeners. We appreciate the fact that you listen to our stories, that you share them, and that you support our podcast. And as we approach Thanksgiving and look towards the end of the year and the Christmas season, we would just humbly ask that you consider donating to our ministry. As many of you know, Storytellers Live is a 501c3. We are funded by our listeners and our donors. And so if you are led towards the end of the year, would you consider making a financial donation to our ministry so that more women literally around the world can hear stories of hope found in Jesus? We have some lofty goals for 2024. We would love to double the size of our communities around the country so that we can build community among women. And so we ask that you join us in that mission. There's a link in our show notes you can click on to easily give, or you can go to our website at storytellerslive.org and click the donate button. Again, thank you for listening, and here's Savannah. Well, I just want to echo Tracy and say thank you for being here, because our Monday was absolutely insane today, and... I had to be here, so I know that getting out the door can be a challenge, but I'm thankful that you're all here, and I also feel very confident that you're here for a reason, and so that makes me feel a little bit more at ease, too, knowing that everyone that's here is who's meant to be here. I'm Savannah. I have been married to my husband, Brian, for five years now, so Tracy, that's why I knew precisely. how long we knew each other Um, because we got married in Tupelo, Mississippi, and we didn't move here until two or three years ago. Um, But we came from Starkville, Mississippi. We met, technically met in college or met in high school, but we started dating in college at um, Mississippi State University and 
like I said, we were from Tupelo before that. So we're very thankful to really have three places that feel like home here, Fairhope, where we've started our own family, and then Tupelo, where our friends and family are, and just so many memories because we both were fortunate to live in the same place our whole lives. And then Starkville, where we grew up really in college. So we're very fortunate to just have so many places that fill, you know, those nostalgic, fun places that you can go back and think to, and you immediately are taken back to those times in your life. But last year, and literally when I say last year, I mean like exactly a year ago, we had our first baby boy. His name is Graham. He turned one on Saturday, and I'm just like, I was telling them earlier, I feel like I lived someone else's life for the past year because there's no way that I just successfully took care of a child for 365 days like someone else did that it was it wasn't me um but when Tracy first asked me if I wanted to share I was so excited at first I still am but at at the very beginning I was like yes like I know what I want to say I've got this covered but then as I sat down and started to like peel back the curtain of my life and just what I specifically felt like the Lord wanted me to share I realized that hmm do I really want to like admit these words to a group of women that, you know, some that I know, but some that I don't know, do I want to say this out loud? Um, And because it's messy, it's, I wish it had like this big, pretty bow. And in some ways it does, but in lots of ways, it's still being written. And I think that that is just how all of our lives are. Like we're continually being written. He's molding us and shaping us every day. And that's just part of it. And one way specifically that God loves to teach me, he has one way, and that is learning, well, multiple, but one that he teaches me like over and over and over again is surrender, letting go of my expectation of how I want something to go and letting him take the lead instead. All throughout my life, God has done that. He just really very repetitive with me. Maybe that just means I'm stubborn in that area because I love to have those sticky fingers and hold on to everything. But, you know, my marriage, when we first got married, I learned quickly that that doesn't really work the way that I thought <laughs> marriage works. There's a little bit of compromise, a little bit of argument sometimes. It's not all hunky-dory all the time. And um, especially in motherhood, I have learned that having expectations and how you picture something to go or or even just when things are so far out of your control, what do, what do you do in those moments? And we learned that seriously from the first moments of his life because when he was born I got to hold him you know that magical moment where they're placed on your chest or actually I was told that that was a magical moment can we still like it is magical sure but also what in the world just happened to you and they put this baby on you that they say is yours and you're like are you sure like there's just so much going on in that moment and I just remember being like I didn't think I was gonna feel this way like I thought I don't really know what I thought but it was not that um so many people are in the room and we all know what they're looking at and it's just I was just incredibly uncomfortable and they're telling me this baby's mine and he's crying and there's nurses everywhere there's doctors everywhere and and I'm just trying to comprehend what just happened to me and it got real for us when nurses started saying wait hold on do you hear his cry do you hear his cry and I was like well I mean yeah I hear his cry like that's good right and they were just like no like something something's off about his cry we need to keep in like keep listening for that 
And they, it got even more serious when they were trying to get an O2 reading on him and they just couldn't get one that was strong that they felt good about. So they're like, we're going to take him from you for a minute. We're going to take him over here and see if we can, you know, figure out what's going on. And then that quickly escalated to, okay, we got to go stat. And they're rushing, there's like triple the amount of people in our room and they're rushing him out. And I'm just like, what? But you said he's mine. Why are you, you just told me he's mine. Hold him, take him. And now you're taking him. And it was just a moment that we were so confused. We didn't know why they were taking him. There was very little information being communicated to us. And in the moment, you know, I'm thankful now because they were taking care of him. But it felt very unfair to us. Like, you just said he was mine. And now you're taking him. And we were just so heartbroken, but also didn't even really know what to think or feel in that moment because it was just so overwhelming. And I just remember begging God, because there's so many people in the room, and I just remember begging Him, like, can you please let them finish whatever they're doing so it can just be us and so we can figure out what's going on so we can get some information. And my husband and I just prayed, and really I couldn't even comprehend thoughts, so Brian and my husband prayed for us. And he was just like, Lord, all we know, truly all we know is that He can't breathe. So fill his lungs, give him what he needs, which is air, like just fill his lungs, help him to breathe. And when it was finally quiet, the lyrics to the song that we heard were, it's your breath in our lungs. And so I'll pour out my praise. (laughs) And I just love it. Like these are happy tears. (laughs) Because like what? (laughs) Like we had just begged God to do that to give him breath and here he was playing a song on a playlist i made but still like at the perfect time playing the song that we needed the sweetest reminder and you know just a little spoiler alert that song wasn't on my playlist it just was playing sometimes like when playlists end um they can play like songs similar Uh, But like, what, what? Like, there are so many worship songs in the world. And like, that's the one that played like at the chorus, right? When like, literally it was as soon as Brian said, amen, that's what we heard. I mean, the next thought, and we just looked at each other and I was like, well, now we got to cry all over again. He goes, what in the world? And that's, those lyrics really just carried us through the next few um, minutes. And oh, another thing that's so fun. And then I'll take you back to the hospital. But flash forward to, I don't know, three or four months later at Graham's baby dedication. We're at church. I don't think my church has ever played that song. And it's his baby dedication. And they play that song during the worship set. And so we have our baby, whose lungs worked very fine at that point in time, (laughs) because he's three or four months old. And he really liked to show me how well they worked around two or three in the morning. So I, you know, he was a very healthy boy that had very good breath-filled lungs. Um, And so we got to worship over him to that song. And it was just another incredible moment for us to just see that kind of come full circle. But at the time when we're back in the hospital, we waited about four hours or so before we knew anything. They moved me from labor and delivery to the postpartum room, which I thought the bed difference was amazing. So at least that was exciting that the bed was a little bit more comfortable. Um, I was looking for anything I could to, to little moments of joy since I was separated from my baby. And the longest four hours I think I've ever experienced I know for a fact that I've ever experienced. And anytime someone walked in the room, I was just like, is it a doctor? Is it a doctor? And finally, when a doctor did walk in, he told us that Graham was stable. He was doing good. 
but that he had experienced a ruptured pneumothorax. And if anyone here is a doctor or nurse and I'm saying that wrong, I apologize. But that is my understanding. Yay, I did it good. Okay. Um, but here's what we're going to call it. It's a hole in his lung. That is what they told us. So that's what we have referred to it as since then. Um, and they explained that there were three different scenarios that could happen. Um, and so we were just kind of waiting to see what was going to, where we were going to go, what path we were going to take. It could either heal on its own or it could not heal and he might need a little bit help. So there might need to be a surgery or it could continue to get worse. And in that case, it could be fatal for him. So that's what I'm told four hours post having a baby mine that they keep telling me is mine, but I haven't really gotten a chance to make that connection yet. And I'm just like, what? And so for the second time that night, I felt like my whole world just kind of crashed around me again because it wasn't supposed, that's not how that was supposed to be. Four hours post-birth, we were supposed to be eating a cheeseburger and cuddling, and I wasn't doing those things. I, I didn't even know if I would be leaving the hospital with, with a baby because they just were very frank with us that we didn't know anything for sure at that point, that it was a waiting game. And later, they finally let us see him, and that was surreal, and I was still like, I'm not convinced that that baby is mine. Um but it was a very cool moment. And later, the doctors were just talking and telling us that they were like, you know, it's actually really amazing that this happened how it did. And I was like, how do you figure? Because I don't quite understand how this is amazing. And they were like, you know, typically when these things happen, it can be right right when a baby is born, it might happen. Or it can be later in life, randomly. And because if this type of condition, you can't really control when or if it will rupture. It's just kind of a random thing. And so the fact that it did, it ruptured when it did, right at delivery, when there's so many people who are right there to help him, is amazing in itself. Like, sure, we don't want it to happen, but at least it happened when it did at the time that it did. And so I was very thankful for that perspective moving forward and thankful for all the nurses that were there with us to support us through that. And I was just very excited that it only took four days because he did end up healing on his own. He was weaned off of his breathing or his um, feeding tube and his oxygen. And we were just so proud of him. Each little milestone he made, a little tiny seven-pound baby doing all these things. We were just so proud. And I just kept telling myself, when we get home, we can start. Because I felt like everything had just been put on pause. Like my experience of being his mom had been put on pause. And when we get home, I can start, I can figure out how to do this, and we can get going. And sadly, when we got home, well, not sadly, because it was so exciting to be home, but for myself, I wasn't prepared for what hit me because immediately I was filled with feeling like I was behind somehow. And I felt this sense of like rushing to catch up. Like I'm behind, I missed felt like I missed so much. How do I catch up with with everything that I missed? How do I like prove that just because this thing happened, how do I prove that I'm still a good mom? Because I felt guilty somehow. I felt like that was my fault. Even though I am very well aware that it wasn't, it still felt like it was my fault. And that was really hard for me to process. And it began this cycle of having a thought that I knew didn't make sense, feeling guilty about it, and then ultimately feeling shame about why I felt it in the beginning. It was just relentless, consistently feeling like 
I couldn't get out of this cycle of thoughts. And it didn't take me long. In addition to the mental load, it didn't take me long to realize that my idea and my expectation of what I thought motherhood looked like was vastly different from what the reality of it was, Um, especially with a newborn. I mean, I knew we'd be tired, but I didn't realize we would literally not sleep. I knew that we would be doing a lot of dishes, but like I didn't realize that there Like, how is that even humanly possible that that small of a person can create so much havoc? Like, I just don't, still don't understand. Um, And it just, it wasn't what I saw. Because we see, especially with so much social media, and even just my friends that had had mom, or my, my friends that were moms who had had kids, I was just like, I don't see in them what I see in myself. And it just created again that I was failing somehow. So from the very beginning, I felt like I was failing. And then when we got home, I was like, I'm still can't get the dang hang of this. Like, how do you be a mom? How do moms do this? Um, I, because I don't understand because we were home. I just kept telling myself, if we can get home, we're going to be fine. Well, then now we're home and I was not fine. And I couldn't understand why and I felt so embarrassed like just the word for how I felt was just beyond embarrassed and so guilty and so shameful like I would be sitting holding him and I would be like oh I forgot to do xyz in the kitchen and I would feel guilty that I didn't do that so then I would give my baby to someone else so that I could do whatever in the kitchen then I'll be like wait no I should be with my baby so then I felt guilty that I was with my baby so then I would stop what I was doing in the kitchen and go back to hold my baby and it's just like no matter what I was doing I could was never achieving I couldn't achieve enough no matter how much I was achieving it was never enough and that is just no place God doesn't want that for us but I just couldn't, I just couldn't shake it. It was just there and it was relentless. And along with that was just a growing list of things that I just hated. And I hated that I hated it because I wanted to love it. And some of the things primarily that I, that were the hardest for me to get over was I have made a mistake. I genuinely felt like I'd made a mistake and I was not cut out to be a mom, even though it's something I'd always wanted. I felt like I have made a mistake. I'm not good enough for this baby. He deserves someone who's better. And still hard to say, <laughs> even though I'm on this side of it, still hard to admit. But I also found myself craving my life before, just not having to be responsible for someone. and Or at least, you know, Brian would at least say thank you every now and then, (laughs) my husband, you know, like at least there were things I had to do and things I had to, you know, I'm an adult. There are things that I had to do. There were responsibilities, but I have never, ever experienced having someone be completely and solely dependent on me for every need that they have and all sources of comfort. And like, you're their favorite person. It was just a lot to literally happen overnight. And especially in those early months of postpartum, just figuring that out was very difficult to accept, really hard to accept, even though I loved it. And I was confused by that too, because I was like, how can I love it and struggle? How can I do both at the same time? How do these things exist? They're contradicting in my brain. And then I just hated being in my brain because it was not a fun place to be. So I was like, how do I get out of my own brain? And I've always been a journaler. I brought some. I'm not opening them for you. You couldn't, you couldn't get me to do that. But um, this one in particular... I journaled through it all through my pregnancy, and I was so, so excited that, oh, you know, when he's here, I'm going to 
write his little milestones and I'm going to write my milestones and the first time we did this and the first time we went on a walk and I was just so excited about all the little things we were going to do. This, you know, expectation of motherhood that I couldn't even write it down for you. Like what I expected, I don't know, but it just didn't match what my reality was. And, um, you know, so I was telling you, I had all these things in my head and I was like, I got to get them out. And I found myself opening my journal and just hovering the pen over the page. I, c- I could not write down what I was actually feeling because I was so embarrassed, so embarrassed to even admit I didn't need, there didn't need to be any record of it. You know, one day when I die, I didn't want anyone to open up my journal and be like, oh, she struggled with being a mom. Like I didn't want there to be any proof of it. And it's hilarious that that's what I was worried about, but I just didn't want I felt like I was hurting Graham somehow by admitting if he were to read those words one day that it was hard for me. But that's not the example I want to set for him because things are going to be hard for him. And I need to show him how we do that well and how we process it well. So (laughs) this is what's funny. I got another journal. (laughs) (laughs) This is the one that I can be totally honest in. (laughs) And it's pink. And I'm like, maybe he won't read it one day because it's pink. And it's the most, you know, I'm going to, make it as girly as possible. Maybe like, eee, that's mom's girl journal. I don't know. But in my head, you know, sometimes we have to trick ourselves. Whatever we need to do to get ourselves in a place where we can process and, and move on. I had to just give myself a safe place. This other journal, for whatever reason, didn't feel safe. So I had to create a new space for myself. And through doing that, through letting myself put pen to paper, and it's so funny, when I read the first entry, I'm like, it's been a little bit difficult. And then by like the, you know, a few entries, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, just like writing down, I'm crying, you know, today was so hard. And it's just so funny to see even in that how I've been able to accept that it was hard because what I've realized is that it's not so much that, and this is the part where it's still being written, because it's not so much that, like, I had to accept motherhood was hard for me because it's hard. I would feel confident to say that it's hard for everyone in some degree. But I had to accept that what I thought motherhood was, was wrong. And I had to figure out what it actually was. And that's been an interesting shift to make. And it's been an interesting thing to discover. And I didn't realize how good I was at hiding behind a smile and saying, we're doing so good. Thanks for checking in. Like I was got so good at doing that. And I didn't realize I've always thought I've been someone who wears her emotions and, you know, just whatever right on her sleeve. It's just on my face like, I had a bad day and I'm frowning. But I got really, really good at telling people that we were doing great and that motherhood was bliss, even though I didn't even know what that sentence meant. And, like, friends would text me and check in, and I would be like, we're doing so good. We're doing so good. And every time I would send that text, I would be like, believe it this time. Believe it this time. Like, you don't have to, like, maybe this time when you press send, you'll actually wake up the next morning and you'll believe that, believe that that's true. But what I had to learn was that how to let go of those expectations that I set for myself. No one else set them. I set them for myself. I was holding on with like the tightest grip ever to what I wanted motherhood to be, what I felt like it needed to be, even though I wasn't enjoying what I was forcing it to be. I had to let go of it and let God transform my view of what being a good mom is because I had a not good definition. So I had to let him teach me, this is what being a good mom is. This is what this means. And this is how you 
find me in this by letting me walk you through it and letting me show you. And I have learned countless things about surrender and about trusting and about letting go. And Graham turned one this weekend on Saturday. And I was really nervous approaching this weekend because I was like, everyone, again, put so much pressure and expectation on that that Friday night when you lay your baby, or for us it was Friday night, but when you lay your baby down as an 11-month-old and then you wake them up the next morning as a one-year-old. I was like, okay, we have to rock perfectly. We have to like get our snuggles in. It has to be like the perfect night. That boy has been sleeping, thankfully, through the night since he was like seven months old. So a little late, but still, he cried his little head off that night. And I was just like, what is happening? But again, it was just God. It was kind of one of those funny ways, thankfully, where God was like, like a little poking me a little bit, being like, see, you still need to, like, this isn't ever done. Learning this lesson isn't just done. It is continual. But I thought that was kind of a funny way for God to just poke me. Because I was just like, why? Like, you've slept so well. And then this one, this this night that's supposed to be so sweet, you're just not interested and fighting me. Thankfully, the next night he let me cuddle him. But that night, I was like, really? So then I go to bed crying. And I'm just like, my baby's won. Um, but I was met, thankfully, with just so much gratitude and I wasn't sure what emotion I was going to have because I really did. I thought I was going to be really weepy. I'm a very, as you can probably tell, my emotions are like me. <laughs> I feel like I live my emotions. And so I was worried that I was going to be really sad that he was one because as each time I've had to change out his clothes to the next size up, just leave me alone. Like, just let me have my minute and process that he doesn't fit them anymore after, you know, his little pajamas are like hanging off his shoulders. Cause I'm like, you wear this one more time. Um, <laughs> I just can't, it's hard to move on from those things. But again, learning to let go of that, he's growing as a reality. And we, that's a good thing. I have to tell myself that continually. It's a good thing that he's growing and healthy. But I wasn't, I wasn't upset this weekend or sad at all, other than the fact that he threw a little fit with me Friday night. But I was just filled with gratitude all day because I was like, you know what, God? Look what you did. Look what you've done. We went from, you know, a year ago, we weren't sure where we were going to be, and we're here. And you did it, and you're working in me. It's a continual thing, and I'm just so grateful. And I did have tears because... Like I said, that's just who I am at this point. But they were they were happy. And I sat in his nursery and I just looked around and I was like, I'm crying, but I'm happy. Like it was just such a fun moment for me to be able to just be filled with so much gratitude. And just to close, because I just think it's so sweet too that God did this timing like this. He's learning how to walk, which is exciting and terrifying because the little guy is fearless. Absolutely feel what he's like, what are legs? I don't know, but we're going to find out. He's just like, just like all in. And I just love how fearless he is. And it encourages me to see him be like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to figure it out. And he takes one step and he takes another and he's just like, I'm doing it. And then he's like, oh no, oh, well, they're not working anymore. And he just like, bam, into the coffee table. He has like 12 million bruises. But he, every time he falls, he looks for me. He's like, Mama, like, are you going to catch me? Are you going to pick me back up and put me on my feet? And I just think it's so, such a picture. I see myself as that little one-year-old that's like toddling around, trying to figure out how her legs work as a mama, even now, a year in. It's just so 
I love seeing myself in him learning it, but I'm looking to God every time I fall because he's not always going to catch me. I'm not going to always be able to catch Graham in a sense of preventing him from hurting himself. I think God lets us fall, but he always puts us back up on our feet. And that's just been a really sweet thing to see too. And I love that it, the timing of just reflecting on this year and then seeing him take his first steps. It's just been really, really sweet. And I know that in a lot of ways, I still have a ton left to learn um, because my baby's transitioning to being a toddler and there's a whole new level of heart that comes with having a baby who's a toddler. And then, you know, we'll be in school and then I know it changes. But I can look at those things now and not feel overwhelmed by them. I mean, sure, there's a degree of overwhelm, but I can look at it and confidently be like, it's okay because we made it through this that felt impossible. And we're going to be make, be able to make it through anything that's to come because of what we've already been through. Katie, you mentioned in the beginning that this is really a story about comparison. And Satan always wants to attack us as moms in how is everybody else doing? Are my children measuring up, whether they're 13 or three months? You know, I'm, I'm constantly questioning. And social media doesn't help. She talked about that. Yeah. But I'm constantly questioning, am I doing enough? Am I getting them? I remember being worried about getting my kids on a schedule. Oh, my Because word. that's what everybody yes. was concerned about uh, when my children were babies. Uh-huh. And thank the Lord, I didn't have social media. Oh, I, I didn't know. have anything right. to compare to except for my circle of friends and my right. older sisters. And so I really did appreciate Savannah's transparency. And when she said, I got really good at lying about how I was feeling, mm-hmm. ooh, I, I can relate mm-hmm. to that. But, you know, how beautiful it is that at the very beginning of her story, she even said, you know, this is not tied up with a bow. Right. And she even said, I question, do I really want to admit these things to everyone? I mean, she's, and just the, again, as I said at the beginning, I just appreciate her vulnerability because there are so many young moms out there that are probably struggling with the exact same thing she is. You know, I'm not as good as all these other moms. I made a mistake. God, why do you have me here? I cannot do this. I mean, all of those things, you know, and then she said she'd have these thoughts and then she would be embarrassed that she was having those thoughts or shameful or feeling guilty. And, and that's just the enemy just continuing to attack. And so what I appreciate so much about Savannah's story is that she was just willing to just bring it to out in the it. open mm-hmm. because there are other women who are struggling with this. I mean, we said in the newsletter that there's as many as one in seven women are struggling with postpartum depression or comparison, like mm-hmm. you said, Lindy. Mm-hmm. And there's no need for them to struggle, you know, in that silence. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was just so glad to have this type of story to air on the podcast. And you know, in a funny way, this really goes back to Ruth's story two, two weeks, weeks ago. ago. Yeah. yeah. You're worried when your baby is six months old, and you're you're worried, you're when, they're worried when they're sixteen. Your worries change, but there's really not much difference mm-hmm. in the shame and embarrassment of worried that they won't sleep through the night, or that you're not connecting and you should be washing the bottles instead of holding the baby, and right. then you should be holding the baby instead of washing the bottles, and then all of a sudden your child should be going to the football game. Yeah, and right. then you know, like, <laughs> it doesn't. The situations That's change, so but the concern does not. Yeah, and and it goes back as Ruth did. You know, you start questioning my mom choices. I'm not good. I'm not mm. a good mom. And then that's where you begin that isolation. isolation. Ruth isolated herself. Savannah, you know, was isolating herself as well. Well, if y'all have listened for any amount of time, you know I am a journaler. 
And when I heard Savannah say that she had two journals, one for people to read and one for herself, (laughs) I almost wrecked my car. I laughed so hard because I was like, how often am I journaling? And I'm thinking, somebody's got to burn these things. I know. Um, And I loved her honesty in that. And I thought, that's actually a really good idea to have a journal where you just get all the ugly out and nobody's ever going to see it. Um, I thought that was really clever and probably really healthy. Right. You know, Robin, I wish that I was a better journaler because of that. But I think one of the reasons why I'm not is probably because I have a lot of pride and that I don't want somebody to know all of those thoughts as well. Um, You know, and then also one one other point that I just wanted to bring up with Savannah is that, you know, she is young. I probably could have birthed Mm her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, for her to even at least, she, she does have the foresight in knowing God is continuing to teach me. And just even the sweet lesson that God gave her with Graham learning how to walk and you know yes, him falling. I and she said right that here. was just such a perfect picture of the Father's love that He has for me, that He knows I'm going to fall and He just wants me to look to Him to lift me up as well. You know, Savannah is at least positioning herself so that, you know, like Ruth, she's going to know um, you know, where her priorities need to be in raising that child and trying to ignore what her expectations are telling her and what the world's telling her as well. That's right, Katie, because towards the end, she said, you know, I had to let God transform my view. And I mm-hmm. thought to myself, hey, young mom, if you yeah. can grasp that concept early, absolutely, that is one of the greatest tools because it will apply in your marriage. It will apply in your parenting. It will apply just being a woman in a our, in our culture, and, yeah, yes. a woman of faith in our culture today where, Lord, I need you to transform my view. And so I, I was very encouraged by that as well. If this is you today, if you're struggling in any way, asking the Lord to transform your view. That's I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna write that in my journal. <laughs> Y'all write it on a post-it note. <laughs> but thank you for listening today. Just thank you for being here. We're heading into Thanksgiving. It is a time of giving thanks. And I I don't think we could ever begin to tell you how grateful we are for you as listeners that here we are seven years later (laughs) still getting to do this thing. It's mind-blowing. So we're so grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.